Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. So Adam, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Brilliant. Well, it's great to be here, TC. Brilliant. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, so my name is Adam Leach. I'm currently the Chief Information Officer at Nominet. Uh, Nominet is a company that runs the UK domain. Um, and um, yeah, we're based in Oxford. I live in, I live in London. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, been doing, been at Nominet for about eight years, been doing the CIO role for, for the last year. So tell the audience around, you know, your journey to the point where you've got to now. What's that been like? Yeah. So I think um, I'm doing the job now that I always aspire to do, which is great. I always wanted to be a CTO or CIO. So it's, it's you know, awesome to have the opportunity to be doing that job. Um, I've worked in technology, the technology sector for all of my career. Um, and I started out quite a kind of traditional path, uh, studied computer science um, and then started out as a software engineer. So the first uh, few years of my, uh, my career were cutting code uh, and writing software. Um, but I, I don't think I think from that point I took a kind of more kind of meandering course, uh, not I think what would be kind of more not not kind of conventional IT director kind of CIO role. Um, took some other uh, some other roles um, with with companies doing um, uh, I was an analyst for a while, doing, doing uh, as a technology analyst. Um, worked for uh, Vodafone doing kind of technology strategy. So sort of took me away from. Um, the actual kind of coalface, if you like, of software engineering and building products. Um, but, um, you know, it was really great to get a kind of breadth of other experience and other other soft skills, um, which uh, have then been really helpful um, in, in coming then sort of coming back to um, more of the kind of uh, technical work, more of the uh, building products and maintaining IT systems, which is what I do now. So, um, yeah, it's not been it's not been a kind of straight line kind of career, which I think a lot of the times when you're, um, you know, uh, applying for roles and speaking to recruiters, that they're looking for that kind of, uh, that sort of straight line from where you started to where, you, where you're going. But uh, uh, but yeah, I had the, the opportunity to work at some great companies and, and develop some other skills, which I think ultimately have, have, have led to me being a better CIO as a result, but not necessarily what people would look for in the steps of the career uh, that I've done. Brilliant. I, I, what I love what you say here is, is that sometimes, as you say, people see want to see a kind of uh, a beeline, a kind of uh, missile kind of approach to the target. And it's not like that. I mean, my career has been more like, it's not even a squiggle. It's a, it's like a, it's like a, one of those random kind of squiggles all across the page, you know? Um, yeah. um, but I, I feel based on my career, it's been very beneficial because I've got lots of areas that I've kind of touched on and, and got experience on. Has that been the case for you? Has it been a benefit to you as a as a leader now in the tech space? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a benefit. And I spent, um, sometimes I'll say I, I worked um, as an industry analyst. Um, and that was, you know, very kind of very different role. Um, the skills needed for an analyst, um, uh, you know, quite, you know, quite different in terms of uh, looking at market, looking at strategy, uh, a, a lot of it is around kind of communication skills, whether that's written communication, whether that's kind of presentation. 
you know, do, as an analyst, you do things like live TV, which is kind of terrifying. And there's, there's lots of uh, my, my early attempts at that when uh, being on kind of Bloomberg or whatever, just there in the chair, looking frightened as uh, someone someone talks away at you and you've got a kind of a pine and a, an opinion about uh, the news of the day. But, you know, all of that, I think uh, a lot of that kind of communication stuff in the in the tech sector, working in in tech can be really helpful and help in, in uh, to further your career, um, uh, as well as the kind of technical skills you need, being able to make sure you communicate with a kind of wide range of stakeholders where you can get your uh, point across. And I think particularly within side technology is kind of um, understanding how to make your point to people that are less technical. I think that's a really important skill for, for anyone at whatever level uh, in tech you're working to. You know, talking to your peers is great and um, and uh, it's always good to, you know, get your kind of voice heard. But being able to speak to users, to speak to um, other people, you know, marketing department or whoever they are that have, that, that aren't as ingrained in the technical detail, and, and but being able to kind of helicopter up and get your point across, Brilliant. I think it's really important. Yeah, that kind of communication skill and having the the uh, critical mass of knowledge and experience to be able to talk from a place of, of of knowing. That's great. So I'm really excited now to kind of move on to the company that you work for, Nominet. OK, and we've had a joke about this uh, offline around, uh, you know, the, the Internet, um, how it's kind of managed. And the, I don't know if the audience have seen um, uh, IT crowd where. They, one of the IT people brings in the internet, which is a black box with a flashing LED light on the top. Now, obviously, yeah. that's not what the internet is about, but tell us about the company that you work for then. I mean, exactly what does Nominet do? Is um, it with an LED flashing on top? Uh, so, yeah, so we had to lend it to the <laughs> crowd when they wanted to have that. We had to give them the internet. But what we do um, is, um, is it's quite a simple task, really, is that when someone um, uh, on email or on their web browser types in um, a UK domain, so that's any uh, domain that ends in .uk or .co.uk, um, and uh, so bbc.co.uk, we ensure that that, um, that browser is directed to the, right, uh, to the right place, to the right computer hosting uh, the web server that, that they want to visit. So, right. um, so sort of every day we have billions of queries where people just using the internet, as I said, email, browsing internet, going to uk sites and we provide that infrastructure so that wherever uh, that user is in the world because obviously users of uk websites aren't don't just sit in the uk they they could be anywhere in the world um, and we've got to kind of direct that traffic to the right uh, you know signpost where that browser needs to go to uh, for that for that website so um, it's a kind of a small but important part and i think it's a it's a part that most users don't even think about when uh, when and, and and rightly so as well rightly so it's not something that's top of mind you you may kind of be aware of this if you kind of go down the path of kind of registering domains or if you're responsible for uh, administering domains and part of your company um you you may well you know you'll then know of nominate um yeah. but but i think to most most internet users and to most uh to, to kind of business people we're kind of sort of the invisible part of uh, kind of that, that large infrastructure that supports uh, the yeah. internet. 
I, I suppose um, yourself and the team uh, take great delight in not being noticed because if, if you're not noticed, it's all tickety boo, as they say. You know. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's that. It's that. I think that's a common thing in in working in IT, isn't it? I mean, it's a kind of uh, a blessing and a curse as well. You know, uh, we 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 you know we try you know we trying our best to make sure everything is running, everything's working. Sometimes that takes a lot of effort. Sometimes it's things that require, you know, huge amount of effort from the team to yeah. make sure uh, to make sure everything goes unnoticed. And uh, um, and then we expend that huge amount of effort and then sit back and go, yeah, right. I mean, everything's just running as it should. <laughs> One of the things I'm really curious about the work that you do within Nominet, because uh, we hear about it in the news, you know, we had the where the solar winds kind of attack. I, I mean, is this... So the security stuff, I mean, how big is that in your space? Is it consuming uh, most of your time? Um, I think thinking about uh, thinking about uh, cybersecurity and making sure that we've got the right um, controls and mitigations in place um, does take up a lot of time and it takes up a lot of planning and it takes up a lot of thought. Um, so, yeah, we are we do spend a lot of our time. Um, a lot of changes and a lot of the way currently right now we're transforming um, our infrastructure, we're upgrading our infrastructure. And a lot of that is around how can we make it, how can we uplift the security posture when we do that? Um, so that's a big part of our thinking. And a lot of the a lot of the driver to a lot of the modernization is actually more uh, is to make sure we have security practices that are up to date with um, the sort of the landscape that we face today, because it is it is very it is very different. And I know in um, in preparing for this, you were asking me that you know what sort of things keep you awake at night. And I think um, you know the sophistication of an attack like solar winds um, it is is uh, you know is is quite something in itself. So and to be prepared and to make sure that we are um, that, that we've done all we can. In, in that kind of event is um, is something that we spend a lot of time um, thinking through. And we have, you know, we have the um, advantage of having, you know, security experts uh, that we work with um, at Nominet um, and also, you know, working with, you know, the teams themselves that have a lot of experience of this as well. But when you've got kind of global infrastructure and when you've got lots of other um, companies uh, that, that depend on the service that you run, you know, it's critical that that we keep uh, we keep those safe and secure. One of the things I'm curious around is is uh, testing, you know, because obviously the, the nominate the systems that you got running, they, I guess you can't update them. You can't kind of go down and then go into maintenance mode for like half an hour. It, it's like open heart surgery, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's well, there's I have to split apart the kind of uh, infrastructure we write that we run. So we run our uh, DNS constellation, which resolves all of our uh, all of the DNS traffic, um, and that yeah has to be available 100% of the time. Um, and then we've got our kind of business systems that because essentially Nominet is a, a, a beta B2B business. We're not uh, we don't serve consumers, so we uh, we have the services that then other businesses, uh, so the registrar uh, who are members will then use to sell domains to the end customer, register domains, change domains. Yeah. All through our systems, those those systems we have um, slightly more um, leverage with. Like we can have you know downtime periods. Obviously, we announce those and we plan those, uh, but we we can we can do those and manage those. Um, you know, but we're still expected to have a high a high amount of availability, and they're still expected to be available twenty four seven. But it's distinct from our DNS infrastructure, uh, and that's important because I think 
the, the DNS infrastructure um, kind of relies on a lot of the resilience that's kind of built into the internet over the years. You know, DNS is not a new protocol um, and a, a lot of how it's been, um, how it's been engineered and how it's been built um, helps to deliver that, you know, 100% resilience. So that's, uh, that's sort of baked into what you get. Obviously, there's work we do to make sure our nodes are uh, the most efficient and, uh, and comply with that. Uh, but there is a certain amount of how DNS is actually architected that, that, that provides that 100% availability. So we do, but we do then have to, you know, we may have to take certain nodes offline, but in doing that, you know, there's other nodes that pick up the traffic load and it's load balanced and all those things that you would kind of expect to keep that, to keep that sort of up and flowing. And so that question around is because I'm not familiar with DNS. I know, I know what it is, what it does, but the kind of mechanisms that work under it. So obviously important systems generally have a, a redundancy in them. Do you want to speak to that subject? I, I imagine it's an important subject for your for your service. Yeah, absolutely. So if I if I look at our uh, our DNS constellation, um, we've we've got our own um, our own uh, network and our own node sites that which have redundancy within that um, that that are positioned kind of globally. But we also rely on um, a DNS feature called Anycast, where we use um, another. Um, vendor that has their own um, DNS constellation that can also serve .uk data. So we've got that kind of resiliency within our own network so we can take nodes in and out of service. But also if we have some kind of outage that um, that affects all of our nodes, for some reason we then have an entirely separate um, infrastructure that's maintained uh, by kind of third party that we then that we can then use. So at no point does um, .uk ever stop getting served. Yeah. Um, it, it, even in these kind of very, you know, we have to think through these really extreme cases. Um, but in this case, we've got the kind of redundancy of having an entirely separate infrastructure from our own infrastructure that on a most, most basis, on a day-to-day -day basis, helps with our capacity and making sure we can scale up to meet capacity, but also in extreme situations, also make sure that we have that redundancy. And I think that's you know something that we have to be really mindful of when we're uh, deploying infrastructure that others are relying on to make sure we don't have those single points of failure. I think a great a kind of example of that, you know, more, most recently in the news is the kind of Fastly outlet uh, outage, which was a kind of CDN, which um, a lot of um, a lot of people using. Um, and then when that one um, supplier went down, we saw that it took out kind of a, a large number of sites were then affected. And we have to, um, uh, you know, we're not immune to that. We use we use different vendors and rely on different people's services. So we're not immune to other people's services leading to services uh, outages for us as well. We, we've got to be very mindful of that. Uh, but our, certainly within our DNS constellation, we try and kind of architect uh, with with that in mind. Brilliant. And the, the DNS kind of infrastructure across the globe, uh, I imagine there's um, everything's got to be at a similar a version of protocol, uh, ways of kind of communicating with each other and handoffs and what have you. Um, how often does that kind of get upgraded? I, I imagine. Oh, so, yeah, so we, so I think it's it's a constant job. So the t we have a team that is responsible for maintaining the operations of our DNS nodes. 
there will be patching of their nodes. There will be upgrading of the of the software that runs those DNS nodes because we don't we don't write the software that serves the DNS. You know that's done by others. I think some great open source projects that we use and have the benefit uh, of being able to use. Uh, but different versions of that come out. Newer versions we have to upgrade to those versions. And you know uh, we talked about kind of cybersecurity and one of the, the you know best defenses uh, for cybersecurity is making sure the servers. Uh, get patched and they're at the latest version so all of that um takes time and takes and takes planning as well we have to know um what you know what needs to happen uh, and we may uh, we may get um just notifications from vendors that have critical vulnerabilities that come up we then need to kind of patch our whole estate that ha needs to happen immediately um so you know that we have to have people that are you know you know, planning this stuff out, but also uh, I think what's key with the operations is being ready just to do something. You know, P1 vulnerability is announced from one of our vendors that we use. Uh, you know, there's, we, we can't wait to patch that. We've got to do that straight away. I imagine, um, you know, we talk about fire drills in kind of enterprises where, you know, suddenly everybody has to kind of hands on deck, you know, get... I, I mean, do you have a poll where people have to kind of slide down to get, yeah. get to the? That's obviously now a virtual poll because we don't, you know, we're not all in the office. But, uh, uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, we do, uh, we do do fire drills, um, and we do test out our uh, what we need to do um, uh, and practice. I think a lot of the time with operations, it's about practice. So um, there's great, it's great to have processes that you would that you would do in an emergency in an incident, um, but you need to rehearse that. And you need to, to do that. So there's rehearsing it in beta and there's rehearsing it in kind of non-live production. Uh, but then also there's sometimes uh, incidents that happen and you have to do parts of that. You have to enact parts of those plans. And that's kind of a, you know, you have to be ready to, to, to do that. Fascinating. Thank you for shining a light on this kind of, well, fascinating company. You know, I've heard of it, didn't realise there was a lot more to it. So, you know, I'm glad uh, you boys and girls are doing a, a great job kind of keeping the, uh, country on the internet as they say the internet now is actually on the maslow's hierarchy of needs you know Without it, yeah i'm sure it's, it, it it is bizarre it's a bizarre situation to be in like with the pandemic in that you know keeping nominet services and keeping dot uk running has always been kind of the most important thing that we do as a company it's just like up there um you know it, it can't uh, we can't have outages we need to be need to keep it running but kind of through the pandemic it's almost like it's become more important <laughs> and, like, and i think that's every everyone you know everyone's experience of the internet you know no one pre-pandemic thought okay the internet that's kind of that's like uh oh, i don't need that i said so, you know but they would think oh no this is part of my daily life but then the, the amount we've relied on it um through the pandemic has just kind of up the stakes if you like in terms of 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 what we've needed to do and uh you know the the one thing that uh i'm really in awe of is how uh my team and the broader nominate team really responded to um to the pandemic and to that you know we were like we were we're a, a sme you know we're not i think that's important to say about nominate we're not we're not a kind of bt scale company uh, yeah. we're really kind of a medium-sized organization um you know large, largely um until the pandemic, largely based in Oxford with, you know, a few people scattered about. But, you know, making that transition within kind of a week of making that decision, right, we're going to all have to go remote. Um, and then that all happened without anything, any balls being dropped. Wow. Um, it was an amazing achievement by, by the team. And, and they're the, 
they're the 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 men and women that did that and uh, it's it's an amazing achievement excellent that's great this kind of brings me on to a question that i'm very passionate about we've had conversations offline about this which is leadership you know so how do you roll as a leader adam what's your style of leading um i think what i'd i'd say it's um uh it's kind of an an adult style is what I try to, to say that, like, you know, you often talk about adult, adult conversations. Um, as, as a leader, you know, I don't, I don't want to be knowing when someone has a dentist appointment or I don't want to be, I don't want someone to, one of my team to tell me that they've got to go and do the school run. You know, I, I know people have lives and they need to do that. And, and, and what I expect is that people will manage that. And they tell me, obviously, if there's, an issue that that but you know i don't want to be you know approving every you know a half hour away from people's desks so i i want people to know to be to be trust i know they've got important jobs to do and that they will manage their time to be able to do that and i think that's been really important through the pandemic to to give people that trust um to i trust them to do the job um and you know there's we've got um, you know, clear ways of measuring whether, you know, whether the job is being done or not, um, without kind of resorting to kind of a very kind of low level of management, which, you know, which, quite honestly, is, isn't my style. And, uh, and I think is, um, uh, yeah, and it is something that, uh, that I try to do with my with my team and, and trying to, to get those, you know, that trust in place. I love that trust. The kind of uh, Patrick Renzi's uh, five dysfunctions of a team or an organisation. You know, trust is the underlying foundation of it all, and it uh, everything kind of comes from that. Um, yeah, I do realise. I do realise in that explanation, I've sounded like I don't care. Like I know people. <laughs> and it's like no, I do care. I do care about like, and, and our lives do imp- encroach on, yeah. on on work. And when that happens, obviously, there needs to be a discussion at work. But you know, I mean, the the, the everyday kind of things that we all manage, yeah. I don't think is needs to be in That's the conversation. Cool. So my key takeaway from that uh, particular thing, and I think it's an important one, is is that we as leaders we can really load ourselves up with a lot of detail that we actually don't we need need to know you know there's there's other places where our kind of uh, cognitive skills and energy uh, should really be applied to not when somebody's going to drop off somebody to uh, a school yeah yeah and it does and it's and there's more kind of fundamental point i think in the uh, the you know hiring the right people um that could do the job and then letting them do that job you know yeah. giving them the freedom to do that job i think is really important and i think yeah knowing what level of detail you need to to know and when to when to dip into that detail and when uh, and when not to i think that's re- uh, you know really important balance to try and strike as a leader great this brings me on this segues nicely now onto creating high performing teams which you're kind of touching on here so on the hiring front what what's the what's the tip that you the thing that works for you around hiring that gets the right people into your teams um yeah it's a good question um i think hiring is is a is a difficult process. I think, you know, I think you're looking for a lot of things to be right about, um, about someone to join the organization. You know, you've got things in mind, like, you know, you're, you're looking at technical skills and competencies. You're looking at the kind of that broader set of skills, those softer skills that were, you know, that we talked about earlier. Um, and you're looking for, um, and you're looking for kind of fit with, with the organization and existing teams. So I think that, um, I think things that I would have necessarily relied on, actually, for tips for um, for hiring, I, I think 
my mindset has changed on those things because I think with the uh, really important job that we all have as leaders to ensuring that we have diverse teams mm. I think you know previously we might have said you know well you know you want to fit someone that's kind of a, a cultural fit we might have said those those words and and kind of what that kind of leads to is someone that oh I feel like I have a connection to and and then that can be kind of a a bit of a lazy way of of ending up hiring people like you mm. so I, I'm not sure there's a kind of silver bullet in my mind about about hiring I still think you kind of need a you need that connection you need to that really strong sense that someone um, has that kind of technical level of competency you need and that, that they have those leadership skills that you need uh, but I think we kind of have to work harder um, in this day and age to really make sure that we tease that out of everyone that you speak to and give it giving everyone that chance to demonstrate so that rather than kind of relying on perhaps what would have been a gut, a gut feeling that you might have used before in yeah. that process. Excellent. And the blend of your team. So one of the things that you find with tech leaders is that they tend to have a mix of, uh, um, you know, internal uh, teams, uh, in-house teams, uh, yeah. outsourcing certain projects and insourcing uh, to augment uh, the teams that you do have. How, how do you kind of, uh, what's your advice around that? Um, I think that we've, we've got, um, uh, we do a lot of stuff in-house. We obviously use partners a lot as well, we, but we have a lot of the technical uh, staff in-house um, which I think is is really good um, and I think one of the you know one of the uh, the really good things about working for Nominet is being able to being a small company is getting to know everyone that's that's there and, and being able to you know really speak to everyone and have those relationships that really help us all, all succeed in what we're trying to do um, I think the um, I think the external relationships piece I think it goes to something you were saying, perhaps we weren't recording at the time, but about uh, kind of honesty. And I think that, you know, I think we have to treat external partners in the same way, really, that we treat our internal teams. And just having that kind of honest conversations of where you are and what you need um, uh, as an organisation and, and where you need help uh, and, and where you don't need help. And I think having those, sometimes it can be hard to, to have those honest conversations with with partners because there's always an expectation you know there's a you're talking to someone who's trying to kind of sell something or has the kind of that motivation but uh, and and you you may have to deliver a kind of disappointing message that you, you know you're not going to be buying um this time and that's what you have to communicate but i've always found that if you're just honest with um why you've come to that that uh, decision uh, what the business is trying to achieve that's the you know the best thing you can do it may not a result in the uh, result that everyone wants at that time but I think in the longer term it gets you onto a better uh, situation with with any of the relationships that you that you have because I think you know it's easy to be transactional but I think when you you want to build those partnerships to to last I think the real value is having partners that that you work with over a longer period of time yeah and coming back to the uh, hiring aspect of it, because certain industries have a, a real kind of gravity and attraction, uh, if I may use the word sexiness about them. You know, people want to work in, you know, banking or they want to work in the stock exchange or what have you. Um, do you have kind of challenges around attracting people to work for uh, yourselves? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, I think what we do is fascinating. I think it's, it's important. It's important work. Um, it's interesting work. Um, but we have to, you know, we're not a household name. 
so we you know we have to get that message out there we have to have those conversations to, so that people uh, understand what we do um and and the type of company we are um i think you know there's a track in the tech sector there's a attraction to you know the larger companies for obvious reasons who you know who wouldn't want to work for google microsoft there's um, great opportunities great roles they're doing great things um but you know there's there's a benefit for um working at kind of smaller companies uh, having more control over what you do having a more direct impact of the work you do um uh, on what the company does um and i think um as a smaller company you just have to work harder to make sure that message gets across um and uh, make sure people can it might you know you might be the the job ad that's overlooked because the name doesn't just kind of pop out in yeah. the page um but you know i think uh, i think so we so we definitely have to work harder you know across our communication across when we're when we're speaking to candidates of really having kind of a conversation like we're having here yes. about well what's what's nominate about you know well, why 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 should i care you know i think getting that across i think is uh, is important for us so adam i'm really curious around the challenges or engineering projects that you're working on right now you know because technology is always moving it's an innovation yeah. uh, storm that's going on out there what's going on with yourselves yeah and i think that's uh, th there's always something going on there's always something to be uh, to be doing and at the moment we are um we're doing a quite a significant refresh uh, of all of our infrastructure um that sits but oh actually i say all of our infrastructure i talked about the two parts actually to, uh, it's the business systems that we're doing a kind of complete kind of refresh from from all of the um compute and storage and all of that um as and, and also rewriting and uh redeveloping a lot of our software assets at the same time so a huge number of uh moving parts a, a massive program of investment um into improving the service that we're giving to our members and our registrars um through that um and it's a real challenge to kind of um the, the yeah the challenge that we're looking to solve is you know how do we move to the cloud in in the right uh, in the right way at the right pace for the organization organization we are so we've adopted um a uh, a hybrid cloud um uh, architecture a, a sort of a, a solution to this a hybrid cloud and there's i guess a hybrid cloud approach is the best word um to describe it where we've still got quite a lot of our stuff that we run ourselves in our own private cloud so a lot of our engineering challenges at the moment are how we are um, operating our own private cloud and how we can get parity with the tools and technologies uh, of how the um, how public cloud is is used so that's kind of making sure that we've got the latest uh uh, operations in kind of devops and automation so that we're kind of making it seamless whether we're managing our own infrastructure or public cloud and that's really the kind of journey that we're going on over the next few years to kind of create that parity to then allow us to then to kind of um you know with all the other things being right being able to then lean more towards kind of public cloud um, so uh, yeah that's that's you know causing a lot of um uh, a lot of work and, and, and uh, uh, tech team, a lot of planning of what we're doing at the moment, and we'll consume a lot of what we do over the next couple of years. Um, so, so doing that at the same time as of also kind of looking at uh, how all of our software and services work and trying to modernise that as well. So, a lot of moving parts. Uh, and I'd say, yeah, we talked about you know reasons uh, why people should come at, to work for Nominate, and we've got loads of these really kind of 
interesting technology projects on the go right now um, and uh, just really after uh, enthusiastic, proactive technology people to come and help us solve some of these really uh, big problems um, and big challenges that, that we're, we're looking at. That's great. I, I almost feel like uh, bringing on the software engineer TC, because I've been embedded software engineer, back onto the team just so that I can help out nominate. Yeah, if you can. <laughs> Although, you know, my um, my software engineering these days is is uh, uh, is is confined to uh, coding on like uh, the micro bit or doing coding with my with my sons, which I love to do. Oh, I love I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's production ready. <laughs> you know, actually, I, actually, I have a I have a wonder whether it's ever really production ready in terms. <laughs> of when I look back to my my early work as a software engineer, but. Uh, um, uh, I, I think uh, I was reflecting on it with a colleague actually about um, about how software engineering has changed uh, in the time from when when I started to now, um, and I think we're reflecting that uh, you know now you know, software engineering is really it, it's the production line of the uh, of the 21st century. You know, it's 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 a lot more kind of professional and rehearsed and um you know the efficiencies that we get of how we work together like that kind of pipelining and production line whereas 20 years ago yeah it was very different it was very much cottage industry if i think about the first stuff that i did you know i came out of university joined uh joined uh, and you were just given a kind of console just given a task to do uh, you know i remember joining scion and then you know my first job there was to to write some of the uh, PC the, the the code was sat on the PC that talked to the Scion, uh, which is a personal organizer. I've never written a, a Windows program before, but it was you know that was you know you would you were just chucked straight into that. And I think uh, uh, I think things have changed now in that respect. So as a tech leader, how do you kind of keep on top of all this? Because there's always new stuff coming in, and the industry's changing. What how do you kind of keep your finger on the pulse of the industry? Yeah, I, well, I think that's a good question. I think much like anyone else, I think it's about uh, it's about the conversations I think that you have that can that can point you in the right direction and, and making sure that you're staying curious to yeah. working out. I mean, there's no there's no point relying on you know what you knew as a software engineer 20 years ago. <laughs> it doesn't cut the mustard uh, yeah. now. Uh, so you, you you know you have to keep yourself curious. You have to keep yourself. You may not be producing. Uh, well, I'm certainly not producing production code, but just making sure that you're understanding where current practice is um, and what uh, and what how that what that looks like and what what the teams are facing. And I think as a techn techn technology leader, I think that's one of the things that I've always thought was really important is understanding the problems that your team are facing. So you you don't have to necessarily be able to solve the problems for them. In fact, I don't think it's your job to solve the problems for them because if if you are, then you haven't got the right people in the roles to solve their own problems. But you've got to know the challenges they're facing and you have to understand the challenges they're facing. So when they do come to you with, um, with you know, updates on the projects, with the challenges they're facing, you've got to have that technical understanding to know why it's important to them and yeah. that's really critical. And your technical understanding needs to be, I think, at that level to ensure you can have that conversation without needing to go, OK, well, give me the keyboard. I'm going to just kind of get involved. You know, <laughs> uh, you, uh, you don't need that. But you, the level you need is to be able to have that conversation with, with your team. So coming back to the tech leadership space, uh, any advice that you give to tech leaders out there, aspiring tech leaders? Yeah. Along their journey? Uh, Aspiring tech leaders, what would my advice be? Um, 
I think we, you know, staying curious and making sure you're keeping up and keeping on top of your game, you know, it is changing at a furious pace. So oh. making sure that, um, you know, there are uh, tools and techniques that you will use in your day job, but making sure that you are familiarizing yourself with others and things that are beyond what you do in your day job, I think is really important. I think, I think making sure we kind of talked about, touched on this earlier about the communication skills and, and getting yourself out there, networking with other uh, other engineering folk, other technical folk, uh, but also uh, people that are outside kind of your kind of uh, comfort sphere and, you know, making sure that you're kind of uh, make, making those connections and making those networks, I think is, is really important. And uh, so making sure that you kind of go beyond what what's in front of you that you need to do for your your day job and and your technologies and stuff that you're using there brilliant cool okay so as we come towards the end I, i'm going to ask you do, are there any books that you recommend to tech leaders out there that have been gateway and instrumental in your path yeah um books that i would recommend is the devops handbook i think this is a, a great book um to uh, about kind of modern modern software engineering and modern practices and contains lots of great case studies and stuff to read. Um, the DevOps Handbook by Gene Kim is great, great. Um, and I think actually the, it's based on a on some uh, some uh, fiction books. So he's written some kind of stories oh, wow. which talk about kind of working in a kind of IT department and the challenges. And actually yeah. the DevOps Handbook is the kind of, is the kind of textbook um, of, of, of kind of with case studies of, of kind of the output yeah. of that. But there's the, I think it's called the Phoenix Project. Phoenix Project. Um, and, and there's another one, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, I can't remember the name. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of had this kind of storytelling kind of uh, novelistic approach to, uh, to, to, to working in IT. So uh, it's, yeah, I definitely, I definitely recommend them. And, and it's interesting that these kind of books that actually become real kind of uh, occult books, if, if we can call them that, because they, I think human beings, we do uh, relate to stories. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, it's a part of our kind of makeup. And uh, to hear a story threading through uh, something kind of, uh, you know, a journey of knowing and learning is, is great. Yeah. Another, another one just to throw in that I'm reading at the moment is uh, uh, that I'm partway through is The Pragmatic Programmer. Um, which is it's a it's a text that's about 25 years old, um, but they've kind of updated it for um, for kind of the the modern the modern world, uh, the modern uh, uh, you know practices, and that's a really great book to talk about um, the challenge you know how as an engineer to to practice your art. It's really good. Brilliant. That's good. I will add those to my list. I've read some of them. Uh, some of them I haven't. The DevOps one I haven't, but uh, because I'm going back into programming. Uh, yeah, pragmatic programmers where you need to go yeah <laughs> excellent and um if i i'm going to be a genie for a second i'm going to offer you a wish what would your tech wish be as a tech leader <sighs> my tech wish uh can i say flying cars <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hoverboards. I, like I mean, <laughs> isn't that why we all went into tech? You know, we want hoverboards. Uh, we still haven't got them. Um, no, I think that might be my sci-fi wish. Um, um, my my tech wish. So, is this my wish that uh, if I could click my fingers, that I could uh, have done? Um, I think my I think my tech wish would be to 
be able to uh, convince more people to be able to convey with a kind of click of the thing the the the, the fun and the um, excitement that I see in technology, and that to get others to see that and to and to recognise that, I think that would be my wish. So if everyone could see it, perhaps how I see it, I think. Brilliant. Not that I want everyone to think like me. That's awful. <laughs> that is awful. That would be a terrible thing, and we should not have that. Uh, but you know, just uh, just to to see that, I think uh, right. to, to so, inspire more people to follow this this path. I'm going to make that come true because I'm going to teach you some Jedi mind tricks around this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. To make Jedi people. Thing. Yeah. Okay. You will. Excellent. You will do a degree in software engineering. That's right. You will. Love I will it. do a degree in software engineering. <laughs> and. And finally, your key takeaway for the tech leaders, men and women out there in the tech space, what's your kind of key takeaway gift that you'd like to offer as we part? We're all facing our own challenges, but what was really interesting when we first spoke is actually you you presented to me kind of, here are the uh, top three or four, maybe, I don't know whether you can put it in the link or something, the top three or four uh, issues facing CIOs and uh, and I I'd see CIOs, CTOs, or tech leaders, and I just looked at that top four or top five, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had this kind of dawning thing of going, oh, well, okay, I'm I'm not alone then. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, I thought I was the only one struggling, you know, you know, struggling and getting to grips with a technology transformation program and and working out, you know, the pace of of cloud adoption or, uh, you know, are we, you know, I'm the only one also trying to figure out how we get the right people into the organization and then, and, you know, how we develop our people. And, and it's like, no, actually we're, we're all, we're all struggling to, uh, across the, with those same or grappling, I should say, grappling with those same, same problems. And I think that was really, uh, illustrative. So my one word of wisdom, if, if, that can be attributed to anything I say um, is that perhaps we're not alone. Brilliant. I love that. And you're not, it is a tough space that you you sit in. It's an exciting space. And, uh, and, I, and I absolutely have respect for tech leaders like yourself, Adam. So it's been great speaking to you and uh, thank you for your time. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.